Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Generation Elect. We haven't done one in a couple of weeks. I wish we could say that's because we've been busy, but we really can't. I want to remind all our listeners to rate and review our podcast. And also, if you haven't yet, check out my interview with climate activist Audrea Din. It was a really good conversation. Today, we'll be talking about the bombshell news that Bernie Sanders has dropped out of the Democratic presidential race, leaving Joe Biden to be the presumptive nominee for now. We'll analyze who Biden's best vice presidential pick is, and then later we'll talk about some coronavirus stimulus packages and voting by mail. With me on the pod today is, as always, my co-host, Griffin Roeder. Griffin, how are you? Hey, Henry. I'm going to admit I'm a bit of a mess right now, but I'm hanging in there. Uh, How you doing? I think we're all. (laughs) Um, Also on the panel is Jack Newell. Jack, how's it going? Pretty good, Henry, all things considered. How about you? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been going good. And of course, we've got our fourth member of the team, Eliza Cotton. Hey, Eliza. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So yeah, the main topic um, today was the bombshell news that I really didn't think would ever come, and that was that Bernie Sanders is dropping out of the presidential race. Um, once regarded as the frontrunner, he won a bunch of the early states. A lot of people thought he'd be the nominee, but it's been um, a surprising fall from grace for him. Uh, Griffin, what's your overall thoughts on the end of Bernie Sanders here? Well, to be honest, I'm very surprised that he dropped out so early. I w- honestly expected him to try to carry on until at least May or closer to June, about the time when, uh, like, very late in the spring, closer to the DNC. However, him dropping out early was really a shocker. I didn't expect him to win Wisconsin, but I didn't think he was going to drop out. And what this really shows is that this primary, which has been going on, like, you've had candidates in this race that they were they entered the race in early 2019, and now look at the primary. It's all over. I mean, it was very fun primary to analyze and do all these pods yeah. on. Um, it's the end of an era. I will, note, yeah. I will note, however, that this primary is actually very reminiscent of 2004 and that the nominee is a veteran politician from the Northeast, um, some of the other candidates include a progressive Vermonter, a.k.a. Bernie, a populist U.S. senator, a.k.a. Warren, a person that has not served in Washington, D.C., but still managed to win a state by a tiny margin, a.k.a. Mayor Pete, a moderate senator who loses momentum early on, a.k.a. Klobuchar, and uh, New York city person who's very controversial aka bloomberg i mean look at those connections also a uh like really rogue member of congress aka gabbard so oh interesting yeah. very interesting well it's been a crazy primary and it seems kind of predictable that i guess joe biden emerges as the one but um i mm-hmm. mean eliza what are your thoughts on bernie just calling it quits now um i mean obviously it's um it's a big, uh, like, shock to the system for a lot of um, people, uh, especially, um, obviously, Bernie supporters and um, some more progressive people. I think it's um, it's interesting that he is still uh, choosing to stay on the ballot and amass delegates to try to influence the platform, which I think will be really interesting um, 
And I think it's, it's probably a good way to go about it while still preserving uh, the best part of unity that, that, that he can, especially now that we're in this coronavirus crisis. Yeah, I mean, everything's gotten so weird with the state we're in, but... Um... I mean, Jack, what do you think overall about? So I would, um, I would yeah. uh, take exception a little bit to uh, Griffin's portrayal of this uh, in that, you know, I don't think Bernie necessarily dropped out early. We all saw that there was no real path to victory for him. He was not doing well among African-American voters. His youth vote was not near what he was bragging about. And I'm only surprised because based on experience and based on uh, what Bernie has been characterized, that's the only reason why I'm surprised that he dropped out now. For any other candidate, uh, this would be expected. Right. If it's Warren or Pete Buttigieg, who's like in this faraway second place, they would have dropped out a while ago. But Bernie has a habit of staying in races maybe longer than he's invited to do so. He did it four years ago. But um, I mean, here we are again. Uh, it's kind of crazy that, you know, this huge wing of the Democratic Party is now just completely fallen. Um, Griffin, do you think that Joe Biden, who we all know is from the moderate lane of the Democrats, do you think that he should try to cater a bit to the progressive wing and you know, try to include them a bit more in his coalition? Um, I think if he wants to win over Bernie supporters, then that's exactly what he'll have to do, because unfortunately, what I've found is bernie bros bernie supporters in general are very stubborn a lot of them were my way or the highway so bernie or bust and with bernie out of the race a lot of them have pledged to not well almost all of them have pledged not to vote for joe biden many of them are pledging to just not vote at all and also there are some pledging to vote for howie hawkins and the green party so if Biden wants to win over some Bernie supporters, um, he will have to move to the left a little bit on some issues. Right. I mean, Eliza, do you think that Biden needs the Bernie supporters to win this election? I think he does need Bernie supporters. Um, I think what you're going to see from a lot of those um, Bernie people that were really excited and really engaged in the campaign is that they're going to work on down-ballot races um, for their progressive candidates. But I do think that um, Biden should... um, There are some places that he can move to the left um, and it will not only help him bring perspective or yeah. Sorry, wait. Okay. It will not only uh, help him bring um, those Bernie supporters that are maybe not completely Bernie or bust, but will also help him in the general. And that's on things like um, legalizing marijuana, something that's fairly popular, um, especially and uh, climate, which, you know, I saw an article in Vox recently, which is basically saying how it's pretty much the issue that um, 2016 Trump voters that are not convinced that they're going to vote for him again are most um, likely to switch their vote for. So I think that he can um, make some serious revisions to his plan. 
I think that I think that my opinion is that the majority of Bernie supporters will in fact vote for Joe Biden. I think we're seeing a lot of the most vocal ones, whether it be online On Twitter, or in yeah. the middle uh, in the media, that those ones I don't think Biden can do anything to win over. You know, a recent ABC poll showed that 15% of Bernie supporters will be going over to Donald Trump, which really, when you think about it, makes no sense, the complete ideological shift. And those kind of people, I don't think he can win over. And, you know, recently he's tried to do some unifying things. Uh, He added Medicare at 60 years old uh, to his platform and also a new student loan debt forgiveness element. But he also has to be careful of not shifting too, too far to the left because he probably won't pick up that many Bernie supporters and he might lose some independents or moderate Republicans. I think right now he would be I, I if I were Joe Biden right now, I'm sticking my platform right where it is, like, you know, right in the moderate Democratic lane. And I'm waiting to see if polls show that if I need to move my stances a bit left, then I would do that. But right now, the. The Democratic left, like the progressive left, is sizable, but it's not, um, it's not you know, big enough to completely throw an election one way or the other, especially considering that most of the progressive left are located in states like New York or California, which really aren't swing states. So I think if I'm Joe Biden, I'm looking to the, you know, the moderate Republicans and the independents, like you were saying, Jack, that I can win over in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, because you know, that's where the, um, the big the big electoral votes will be won. But um, no, I, I thought Elazi made a good point about the down ballots. Yeah. Uh, I think that my opinion is that it's better to have Biden on the top of a ticket for down ballot races. Like, I mean, Jack, you know, Steve Bullock from mm-hmm. Montana, right? He's running for Senate. Yeah. I think that he's fortunate that, you know, Biden's on the top of the ballot and not Bernie Sanders because Sanders and Bullock, you know, are two completely different candidates. Yeah. So, it's good. I think the majority of Democrats running in 2020 are moderate Democrats. So it's good overall that there's, I think, a moderate on the top of the ticket. If that's an interesting, if that's a point to make. But um, I mean, Jack, why do you think Bernie lost this race? Let's back up a bit. Well, so first of all, I think his coalition to begin with was not as sizable as many thought. And as I mentioned earlier, I think he really had no support uh, within the African-American demographic, and Biden was obviously very strong there. He also prided himself on the youth vote, but in reality, he really did not do that well there. I mean, he was one of the best candidates there, but he didn't increase uh, the youth turnout that much. And I think the American people just weren't really ready for that kind of candidate, and it showed. Yeah, I mean, Griffin, do you buy the argument that, oh, the DNC establishment just stopped Bernie Sanders? Like, well, what do you think about that? I would say that the DNC establishment definitely wasn't a big fan of Bernie Sanders. I wouldn't say that they rigged it against him. I think um, one aspect that definitely hurt Sanders is back in 2016, he won almost every single caucus state. Um, The only ones he lost were Nevada and Iowa, if barely. Uh, The thing is, states like Minnesota and Maine, which were caucus states that he won in 2016, they became primaries, and far more people vote in primaries than caucuses. And as a result, Biden was able to snag wins there. Also, 
I think going back to an earlier point on uh, flipping Rust Belt states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, there are a great deal of independents and moderate Republicans, but I think also there's a great deal of blue-collar voters, especially in Michigan. Um, Especially in Michigan in Macomb County, which is... uh, They refer to those voters as Reagan Democrats. And these are mostly Democratic registered areas, but also they'll vote for Republicans for president if Republicans have a populist appeal. So I think one of the reasons why they didn't vote for Clinton is because they didn't like Clinton on, uh, I think, mostly trade. So I think what Joe Biden would probably want to do in order to... uh, went over some Rust Belt voters as he should probably move to a more populist, um, sadly protectionist stance on trade. Free trade. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not exactly free trade, but he might want to be tough on like a tough on China, uh, mm-hmm. the use of tariffs on the table kind of candidate, yeah. because I think that would be far more appealing to Rust Belt voters. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how you can win that state and, you know, picking Gretchen Whitmer as your VP wouldn't hurt. But um, I mean, Eliza, do you think that the reason why Bernie lost this race so resoundingly in the end, was that, you know, his own fault? Was it him not willing to reach out his coalition or was it really just the DNC deciding on Biden and all the endorsements? Well, I think that, you know, his coalition played a part if he had had a bigger coalition, by all means, that would have helped him. I think also, like you said, a big driving factor was just fear in this election. People uh, are afraid of losing and having another four years of Trump. And so for that reason, we had um, the big electability um, narrative sort of driving this election. Yeah. And people were more afraid of nominating Bernie because they saw him as less electable and so we saw that um, that sort of play out in a lot of the narratives that were happening and again with that sort of closing of the ranks that um, number of dropouts where we saw Pete and then Amy and then soon after a lot of the other candidates that had dropped out um, endorsing Joe Biden yeah right yeah, Jacko. I, I think that um, the endorsements definitely helped him out for South Carolina, and including before South Carolina was Claiborne. But I kind of reject the argument that those endorsements that some Bernie supporters are making was representative of the DNC establishment. Because if Biden had started this election and there'd been no Pete Buttigieg, there'd been no Amy Klobuchar, he had been the sole moderate candidate in the race, Bernie never would have stood a chance in my opinion. So what we were just seeing is that they were finally unifying behind Biden and they picked him as the moderate candidate they thought would do well. How much of that is just there are more Demo- there are more moderate Democrats than progressives in this country? Like I think that's a large part of it. America isn't as revolutionary overall as Bernie Sanders is. And maybe it will be in the coming years. But not right now. Yeah, America isn't as left as social media is. But um, I mean, I think the main reason I think why uh, why Bernie Sanders lost was basically the health care. You know, Biden moved left on some issues. And, um, you know, 
I think overall the $15 minimum wage, which was a big point of distinction between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders four years ago, because Hillary Clinton supported a $12.50 minimum wage. And, but now everybody supports 15, a $15 minimum wage. So Bernie can't say anymore, oh, look, I'm progressive, because right now everybody agrees with him on that. So the only big distinction he could make between him and Biden was Medicare for all, really. But overall, a public option, and you can, we can debate public option versus Medicare for all, but I think it's a fact that right now the great majority of Democrats support a public option more than Medicare for all because of all the disruption it would cause in the private sector and, you know, all the jobs and money it could lose. So, you know, I think Medicare for all was, it was an ambitious plan and it was very much liked among the Bernie base, but overall it was pretty unpopular, like among the Democratic electorate. Griffin, what do you think about Medicare for all? Did that really hurt Bernie Sanders? I think overall it somewhat did, especially in the debates when people, uh, the moderate Democrats were especially attacking him for saying, Senator Sanders, you're going to take away private health insurance from millions of Americans. And I think a pop- most opinion polls show that Medicare for all is popular. But I think what these public opinion polls show is very misleading. I think the words Medicare for all and a public option are often used interchangeably because both can cover everyone. It's just public option is if you want the government health insurance uh, you can get it. If not, then stick with private. Whereas Medicare for all, as Bernie would want it, would have uh, the government have complete control over the healthcare industry, save maybe like elective surgeries. So I think that was uh, part. And also he failed to gain uh, the supporters or the support of some of the dropped out candidates like Warren, Elizabeth Warren, who is fighting Bernie for the progressive votes and was for the longest time actually ahead of Bernie in second place. Uh, She did not endorse Sanders, nor did Andrew Yang, who uh, had, who proposed UBI and was generally progressive on economic issues, although, and uh, socially libertarian. Uh, Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard also endorsed Joe Biden, which was to me a shocker. Um, because she fought so hard to elect Bernie in 2016, and then she endorses Biden. So really, Sanders had very little support in the Democratic Party. He also um, he also was negatively affected by the change of states going from caucus to primary. And although he did flip Nevada and California, these really are tactical victories but in the long run he just couldn't he did his coalition was just not large enough to extend across america and as a result he just got crushed so right and i think he ran on a platform of us versus the world if you're not with us you hate us like oh yeah it was very mm-hmm. divisive i mean eliza do you think bernie should have been less divisive in that sense well I think that people in in Bernie's campaign do they the people who um are in Bernie's campaign and don't like um when people say that often say like we shouldn't have to um be nicer when we're talking about life and death issues and I think that 
honestly, that is where it was coming from. In, the... in that, Bernie uh, really believes that, like, people, we need to, like, fight the healthcare industry so that people aren't, like, dying because they can't pay for their healthcare. Or we really need to, like, fight fossil fuel industries because people cannot, like, be drinking polluted water still in Flint. Like, I think that Bernie really, like, listened to a lot of people on his campaign, saw what was happening, and that's where it was coming from. And I don't think that it was a place of of malice. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, what are you saying? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say the issue with that argument is that, you know, the most vocal Sanders supporters, the one who are the ones who are pushing that divisiveness, that, you know, us versus everyone mentality and using it and justifying it with these are life and death issues, blah, 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 are the very same ones that are not going to vote for Joe Biden, that are going to vote for Trump, that are going to vote for Green Party. And they may throw this election away and those issues won't be helped in the slightest. I mean, um, I think, yeah, go on. Oh, could, could I add on? Sure, One thing ahead. that I've found is I've had multiple discussions and debates with Bernie supporters online. And many, <laughs> have I. Yeah, yeah. Many, of them, many of them are very good people, but also amongst Bernie supporters, especially more so than Biden supporters, is a lot of them oftentimes choose the worst hills to die on in their own arguments. Um, as I feel like a lot of Bernie supporters that I've debated is like a lot of them just say, oh, I just want health care. Oh, but everyone else is a corporate so, chill. That's yeah, one of the so, problems I've faced. I think um, I want to frame this in a way like, you know, if I've if I've I've talked to people who have said like, oh, you don't support Medicare for all. Well, you must be fine with, you know, three point five million uninsured people dying. And, you know, that's not something that I'm fine with. It's supporting a public option, I hope, does not equate to that. But, um, you know, I think that overall, the majority of Bernie Sanders supporters and the majority of people I talk to are fine people. I ran a poll on my Instagram a few weeks ago, I think, saying, like, will you vote for Biden if he's a nominee, Bernie supporters? And I think, like, 90% of them said yes. I mean, yeah, so most of them can, but it's the silent majority Silent minor. It's the vocal minority we're talking about here, which yeah. is you know the people who are yeah. the angry. Those are the ones that Biden can't win over, yeah, right? No but what. for some reason, but and I think yeah. it's also yeah. Go on, Elizabeth. Well, and I think that they they're they're not doing a service to to the progressive um, movement, right? Like those people, mostly men. I'm just going to say it that yeah. are being the most aggressive. Um are people that are yeah they're they're ultimately hurting themselves in being aggressive in that particular way and i think that yeah there there are more productive ways to show your passion for an issue without um being like vindictive and not only that but they're painting the whole bernie support as you know a base of completely divisive mean people that will hate any candidate who's not bernie sanders and while that is a portion of the base I don't think that's the majority. I think that yeah, I a lot of people just, you know, I get why there's animosity toward Biden. I don't think Biden's a perfect candidate. I don't think really anybody does. And I understand why someone would want to pick what would, would want to pick an alternative. I support Biden because he agrees with my views. But, you know, 
people who want to pick a Biden alternative aren't, you know, rabid Bernie bros who want to attack people who hate Medicare for all and send them death threats, you know? So I think that's the key point we have to equate here. While that population does exist, oh, it's not and, the uh, majority. Can yeah. I just add one more point of contention amongst um, the very committed Bernie bros is I found that a lot of them are actually from the West or East Coast, especially New York or California, New York City in yeah. particular. So one thing about New York and California is I hate to say it, but I don't really we're not swing states like our home state in New York is not a swing state, nor is right. California. So sure, you'll have people who vote for the Greens in those states, but it's not going to make that much of a that, difference. We're still going to vote. Like, New York and California will both vote for Joe Biden, without a doubt. But for those voters in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Arizona, Michigan, I mean, that's where it really does make a difference, in the swing states. And we can blame the Electoral College for that, honestly. I mean, I think we should abolish it. But, you know, that's a whole other topic we can talk about. But, um, yeah, I mean, if we want to wrap up the conversation on Bernie Sanders, I just think... It's interesting. This is a second run for president. I think you could make a case that he's been the most impactful politician outside of Donald Trump in the last five years. Um, I mean, Jack, how do you think people 40 years from now are going to regard Bernie's influence on politics? Yeah, I think potentially it could be even less than 40 years. I mean, issues that Bernie championed in 2016, like you mentioned, the $15 minimum wage have become, you know, an, an essential platform of the Democratic Party now. And I think that it's very possible that some of the issues he's mentioned will gain significant traction in the coming years. And I think just one more uh, point before we move off this is that public service announcement. I know there's a lot of uh, New Yorkers that listen to our podcast that support Bernie Sanders. Uh, Eliza touched on that he's staying on the ballot in these states, but uh, New York state budget language that was passed this year says that if a candidate publicly suspends their race for office, the New York State Elections Board has the option of just taking them off the ballot. So it's very possible that Bernie won't be on the ballot in New York State. I mean, it's not like our primary is meaningful anyways, but yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of of votes potentially on the table for him to use at the convention. When you think about it, though, like... A Democratic voter in New York has no influence whatsoever on politics because they vote in the latest primary possible when it's already been decided. And then in the general election, it's like a, you know, a solid blue state. So. No, wait till wait till you see New Jersey, because New Jersey has always had its primary in June. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So when it's yeah. really over. Yeah, there's some changes that need to be made, I think. But um, yeah, let's move on to our second topic. And it's you know, more about Joe Biden, who will be the nominee. And, you know, with being the nominee, you have to choose a vice president, a running mate. And there's a lot of debate over um, who that's going to be. Uh, Eliza, who do you, do you have any people in mind you think would be a good vice president for Joe Biden? Um, uh, my top one is Stacey Abrams. I think that she, she's, she's publicly said that she's willing to do it. Um, and I think, for me, this could, this could, t- well, it seems to me like this, she could be a great person for exciting some of those um, non, 
um, aggressive Bernie supporters, <laughs> yeah. the um, the Warren supporters, um, just and just bringing um, yeah some some more younger energy to the to the platform. Right. She's also a good voice, like against voter suppression too. That's like her key issue because she would be governor of Georgia if not for voter suppression. So, I mean, I think there is a slight concern. Like, she's only served in the Georgia House before, so exactly. Experience is a worry, and that's why she's not my number one. But I think she definitely has a place on that list. Um, Jack, who's who's your number one? Well, like you were saying, you know, it it is a possibility that the vice president may have to take office during Biden's term and with the age, you know, I would yeah. want someone with experience and someone I feel like that could lead the country and I think Stacey Abrams is a great leader that could be a significant party voice in the coming years but I would rather have someone with significant experience and that's why my top pick is Amy Klobuchar I think she brings a lot electorally in the Midwest I think she is closest uh, ideologically aligned with Biden and I feel very comfortable if she were to have to take office as president of the United States. Is it too polarizing for the Democratic Party to have two, you know, really, really, really moderate candidates as the represent- representatives of the party? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's too, too polarizing because there's not too many more progressive voices that I think would do a good job. I, I would be open to... Elizabeth Warren, but right. the issue is she's in Senate in Massachusetts, and well, she might be better served staying there. Actually, you know, um, if Warren gets picked, the there has to be a special election in six months, which a Democrat would surely win. So, well, it's Massachusetts. You know, it's, yeah, it's, but also, it's, it's not sure necessarily. She'd do a good job in as vice president, like you know, if you take away that factor of being in a red in a red governor state but yeah and she might attract some progressives to biden potentially definitely yeah um griffin who's your uh, top pick for vice president i'm thinking of Tammy duckworth from illinois the junior senator um she's um asian american veteran who lost both legs in i think it was iraq uh she served in congress in a suburban area of chicago uh, she was elected to the Senate in 2016 in a landslide, defeating a Republican incumbent. Um, I think with a veteran Midwestern uh, senator uh, with the qualifications of Tammy Duckworth, I think she's a very solid running mate, and uh, she could help Biden win states in the Midwest like Wisconsin and Michigan, which are very close to Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... I'm personally more more partial to to Tammy Duckworth than than Amy Klobuchar just because I feel like she's more um inspiring, right? Like I think that's one thing that Joe Biden lacks a little bit is like his ability to really excited crowd. like inspire a lot of people. Yeah, excited crowd. And I think that that's something that um yeah, I don't I don't know if Amy Klobuchar is, like, the best person for that, even though she's obviously, like, very smart, a, a capable um, leader, obviously. Also, could, could I add my uh, number two pick? Who is it? Um, 
Yeah, this is a different demographic in a different region of the country, but Catherine Cortez Masto oh, of Nevada. I like her. She's a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, U.S. senator, uh, the first Latina senator in U.S. Senate history, it's if I'm not sad, mistaken. Really? First? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh. Um, or not the first, at least the first elected. But if you want to win states like Arizona and Texas, which are trending towards Democrats, they have very diverse population, then Catherine Cortez Masto could be a very good pick, along with ensuring that very that states that have trended towards the Democrats, like Nevada and Colorado, which went to Clinton, that they'll stay with the Democrats. Yeah, I mean, so my uh, picks for VP, like, it depends what Biden wants in a vice president. If you want someone who, in a debate, could absolutely crush Mike Pence and make him look foolish, then it would probably be Kamala Harris, because she would do a really good job on that. But what does Kamala add electorally? Not very exactly. much. So although I don't think she'd be a bad pick, and I think that she's one of the front runners because she's, you know, a good voice and a lot of people like her. My pick is probably Gretchen Whitmer. Just the only reason is because she's in Michigan, really. I mean, she's capable, experienced, and she's done a really good job handling coronavirus. And in Michigan, is a, it's a really big state we need to win, you know, in 2020. So I just say we just go for that. You know, it's a big power play. It would just ensure almost Michigan going to the Democrats, and that would be really great. So I'm for a Biden-Whitmer ticket, even though she's not that well-known to people. I think the issue with Whitmer that could be found is she's only been governor since 2019. She's only served two years as governor. Um, And before that, she didn't really serve in any statewide capacity. I think she served as like a county prosecutor and in the state legislature, but she only served as governor for two years so far. Yeah. I mean, also like name recognition too. like all the names we've talked about, even maybe Catherine Cortez Masto are, you know, more, um, are more well-known than Gretchen Whitmer. I think four years ago when Hillary Clinton introduced Tim Kaine, everyone was like, who's Tim Kaine? And then we found out, and he was a good pick, but like, you know, it's gotta be someone people know and people like, cause that's a big part of it. Um, I, yeah, I Jack- think, uh, Senator Klobuchar could still do a good job and definitely aid us in winning Michigan and other states. Like, I mean, all these I don't people would do a good job. I don't necessarily think it means. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But if you someone like Warren or Stacey Abrams, I don't know how much they'd offer. Stacey Abrams would offer states a lot. Like, Georgia is a purple state. In, in states like Michigan, state. Uh, yeah, potentially. But if we're talking about Michigan and if we're talking about the Midwest and some of those blue-collar voters, I think Whitmore would be a good pick, but I also think Klobuchar could do a similar job. She has more name recognition, and to me, she's better qualified. And the other Tammy, Tammy Baldwin, I think, in Wisconsin. She's, you know, liked a lot, and she's from Wisconsin, the big one. And she would be the first LGBTQ vice president. Yeah, that would be great, too. Um, Yeah, so I think we've discussed that all. Um, Do we want to talk about uh, voting by mail or coronavirus stimulus packages or... Uh, sure. I suppose we could talk about the stimulus. Sure. I mean, so yeah, Jack, you're the expert on this. What is What are the Senate and the House passing about coronavirus? Well, so right now the Senate's kind of in a deadlock because the Democrats want more money for uh, health care workers and hospitals. But Republicans are saying, you know, similar money to that was passed in the CARE Act. 
which hasn't you know been distributed yet so we don't know how many how much more funds we need to allocate um the federal reserve itself uh did 2.3 trillion in small business loans and bond buybacks and the market was up 12.7 percent this week well the dow jones which is a pretty good rebound but it's not really modeling you know our economy is in pretty bad shape right now so i'd expect the market to uh, kind of have some pretty big losses coming up soon. Yeah, I know that the stimulus check to all Americans is 1200 It's just like one payment. Well, you know, places like Canada are giving like 2000 a month to everybody. Eliza, do you think that, that $1,200 is enough, you know, to give every American? Or should it be more? It should be more, I think. Honestly, the price of living right now um, is not 12000 or Yeah, 1200 not 12,000. 1,200 is not going to be sufficient for a lot of people, um, especially when you're unemployed. So yeah, I I think it would be, it would be better to have a little bit more money. Yeah. And one of the issues is that, well, first of all, you know, a lot of Americans don't qualify, but also, you know, it's 1,200 across the country, you know, 1,200 in say Colorado goes a lot more than $1,200 in New York City where the cost of living is a lot higher. Right. And like $1,200 to, I mean, is Jeff Bezos going to get a $1,200 check? I'm sure that's going to help him a lot, right? I mean, there's, like, there's yeah. yeah, there's qualifications that a lot of people aren't meeting. But yeah, yeah I agree. The, co- the cost of living thing is a, is a big but issue. But like also like, why can't, I'm, I like the principle of universal basic income, but I don't like the idea that everybody anywhere is going to get the same amount of money, no matter where you live, no matter what your status is. Like, shouldn't this be weighted? Like some people get more, some people get less. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's a smart way to do things. There is a little, a little bit of weighting in terms of, I think there is an income cap. And I think that there's like, you get um, like certain families can get like extra, like an extra 500 if you have dependents. Yeah. Um, or something like that, but certainly not not enough weight. It's definitely kind of still small numbers, like anyways. But yeah, I mean, let's hope this goes well, and let's hope that overall stuff can you know reopen when it's safe to. Because I don't like all these GOP politicians saying things have to reopen by the summer, no matter what, because that is you know a completely immoral and unhealthy way to do things. But um, I mean, Griffin or Jack, any. Or anybody, any, any final thoughts on, like, what's happening, coronavirus? Um, yeah. yeah, regarding the stimulus, I think with this $2 trillion stimulus, we're only giving $1,200 to um, each American. But also, um, doing the math, when you look at the amount of federal spending for cash payments to individuals plus some extra unemployment benefits, it's $560 billion dollars. You add in uh, COVID-19 response um, for state and local governments, that's $274 billion, uh, $153 billion for public health. But also there are 500, there's $500 billion in this stimulus, which is a quarter of the total stimulus is being spent towards large corporations and $377 billion po- towards small businesses. The thing is... I don't really see why we should give large corporations that had plenty of time to save uh, $500 billion. Honestly, that's just unsound. I think if 
companies were very aggressive with marketing campaigns, expansions before that, uh, before this crisis, that they should be liquidated and transferred to more competent hands because, honestly, we should not be giving corporations $500 billion while we're only giving the people about half of that. Socialism. So, so one of the... One of the bigger parts of the stimulus, obviously, was spent on uh, giving money to airlines. And a lot of the airlines engaged in huge stock buying back uh, opportunities, and they weren't really prepared. And I agree that's an issue. And what I would have done is tied the money that they're getting to certain to more benchmarks that they have to meet. But I think it's important that Americans still have the ability Airlines is one of the biggest industries and employs a lot of people. And I think it's important that it's still there when all of this is over. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a federal headache right now. You know, who do you give money to? Uh, how are you going to enforce that they use it in the right way? But it's it's complicated stuff. And one last topic we should touch on before we wrap things up. Um, the voters in Wisconsin on Tuesday night had a primary. And um, they were not allowed to vote by mail thanks to five uh gop idiots on the supreme court there so um i mean eliza what do you think about this terrible decision in my opinion i mean i think it's horrifying right like it's if you think about it it's like legitimately witnessing like the breakdown of democracy right like people genuinely have to decide whether to um, like vote and compromise their physical health or um, be safe and not be able to um, exercise their um, power as a citizen of the United States to cast a vote in elections. It's, it's terrifying. And for that reason, I think that there should absolutely be um, vote-by-mail provisions for all states um, before, like, leading up to November, so that should be happening. Yeah. That should be going through right now um, to make sure that in case we're still dealing with this in November, which is a highly likely prospect, that people can, vo- like, actually be able to vote. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's literal voter suppression, honestly. Like, it's, it's and it's hypocrisy from the president and his family who all vote by mail and who and who all mm-hmm. talked about oh yeah I voted by mail in that election like and yet they're like and, yeah it's crazy yeah and I mean Trump claims it's voter fraud which is very false and a lot of states already do vote voting by mail yeah. but he's even like obviously the U.S. Postal Service is not in good shape due to this. Uh, you know, pandemic and self-isolation and all that. Uh, and the Trump administration is basically refusing to give them more money. And a lot of people are hypothesizing that it's potentially so that voting by mail doesn't become an issue. <laughs> yeah, I can't even. Yeah, it's amazing. Also, yeah, the, the only voting by mail, um, like, vote fraud scandal that happened was when Republicans tried to... Um, fix an election in North Carolina. That was, I remember that. Clearly we know, yeah. So (laughs) what's going on? Voter fraud is like, it's it's almost a non-issue. I'm I'm not going to say that it's, you know, like non-existent because it probably exists somewhere. But like 
the I remember the Trump uh, the Trump Trump formed a subcommittee a couple of years ago to you know investigate voter fraud, and they had to fold due to lack of evidence. You know, <laughs> so like voter. He, the issue is voter suppression. Voter suppression is more a hundred than times fraud. bigger of an issue, but yeah. you know, even the Republicans it's admit it. Yeah. You know, when less people vote, the Republicans win. You know, so yeah. But um, I mean, let's hope for the best in the coming months. Let's hope that everybody can ex- exercise their constitutional right safely without having to risk their lives to do it. Um, we at Generation Elect will have more podcasts coming out during this time, hopefully. Uh, before yeah. we end, could I just, uh, I would just like to say thank you very much to our first responders, our doctors, our nurses, our people on the front line of this crisis for the work that you do. You guys are the lifelines of our community. Thank you guys so much um, if you're listening or if you're not listening, but a huge thank you to all of you folks. Guys are amazing. Yeah, we're also grateful for yes. the hard work you do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let's you know definitely do some more podcasts during this um, weird time in American history. And um, yeah, let's see where this takes us. So, um, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. Um, also, you know, wash your hands and social distance because that's important too. And overall, um, yeah, we'll be back in a week or two with a new podcast coming out. Um, have a good one.